For the next four weeks, we are going to go to the book of Jonah. Uh, Jonah is in the Old Testament. It's considered a minor prophet. You may ask, why is it minor? Does that mean it's less of a word from the major prophets? Uh, the only difference from major and minor prophets are the length of the books. That is it. And so when you take a look at the book of Jonah, I wasn't raised in the church. But I still remember not being raised in the church, but understanding some of the book of Jonah. I'll give you an example. If I were to mention the book of Jonah, what would come to mind for you is what? The well. And maybe even Veggie Tales. Oh, now I'm preaching? I want to share something this morning just to prove how deluded the book of Jonah has become. It's become so deluded that when we hear, same for me, about the book of Jonah, we think of a well. By the way, uh, the well is never mentioned in the book of Jonah, just so you know. Never mentioned. And in fact, we hear about this city this city that is evil, where Jonah is supposed to go preach, called Nineveh. You know how many times Nineveh is mentioned? The book of Jonah is four chapters, only 48 verses. That is it. Four chapters, 48 verses about this evil city called Nineveh. That's only mentioned nine times within the 48 verses. Then you think about this great fish. That's what scripture says. It's a great fish, not a well. This great fish. We all thought about this well or this great fish when I mentioned the name Jonah. Do you know how many times this great fish is mentioned in the 48 verses? Four times. Yet for some reason, it reigns supreme over the message in Jonah a stupid well. Four times. Now, Jonah, the main character, right? No, wrong. Jonah's not the main character, although we can make him out to the main character. Do you know how many times his name is mentioned? Normally because he's getting in trouble by God. I think there's even a part in here. You know how you get in big trouble when, when your mom says your first and middle name? And then you know you're in big trouble when she says the first, middle, and last name? It's kind of like that for Jonah. 19 times his name is mentioned. You know who the real character is in the 48 verses? You know what the story is really about that we can't miss in the next four weeks? God. God's name is mentioned 38 times in 48 verses. Here's what I want to do with the next four weeks. Moving forward, when we as a congregation hear about the book of Jonah, we don't think, well, we think God. And here's what this story, this beautiful story unfolds. This is why this is so good. Let me give you just a spark note for those college students, okay? Here's what it is. Jonah, running from God. God, pursuing Jonah. Jonah, Running from God, God pursuing Jonah. 
Do you know why eight people were baptized? Because God pursued them and they stopped running. What you saw was a picture of grace, of God's grace. And so you see this beautiful picture of this God pursuit over man who is so rebellious and full of disobedience. It's not about a well. It's about this loving, merciful God. And here's the truth. Every single person in this room has some Jonah in you. You may not believe that. You may not like that statement. Every single person in this room has some Jonah in you. Now, I want you to listen as this unfolds. Verse 1, we're going to go verse by verse. There's 17 verses. I want you to stay with me, just beginning to unfold as a story. Uh, There's a debate about the book of Jonah. Some say this is a a historical narrative, uh, meaning that this is real in Scripture. This really happened. This is in its narrative form, and it's historical. Others would say, no, this is simply a parable. It didn't happen, but there are biblical principles to pull out of it. I don't know whether you believe this is real or whether you think this is not real, just a parable. Here's what I will tell you, whether you believe it's real or not real, the same biblical principles apply no matter which side you sit on, and that is the character of who God is and seen in the book of Jonah. Do you know why the Old Testament is so good? Because the Old Testament exposes the timeless character of God. The Old Testament exposes the timeless character of God. So who we are going to see God is in the book of Jonah still remains today. He is still the same God. Now, verse 1, the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, arise and go. The first two imperatives we see in this scripture, arise and go. It's a God-given command, arise and go. Here's what you'll normally see all throughout scripture. You'll see three things. God calls, then you see man responds. And depending on how man responds, God responds. God's response is always determined by man's response. Did you get that? How God responds to you depends on how you respond to God. Now, here's what we're going to see. Arise and go. The first two imperatives God tells them to do. Go where? To Nineveh, the great city, and cry against it. For their wickedness has come up before me. Okay, let's pause right there. Nineveh. When I was a kid, I kind of lived in the hood a little bit. And here's what we would do to mark our territory. I don't know if you ever did this. We'd get a pair of shoes, tie it in a knot, and throw it over the wires. Anybody ever done that before? Just me? Okay, cool. We did that to kind of mark our territory. We put shoes over the wires so that people knew where our territory was. Listen to Nineveh, this city. This is how they marked their territory. They were known as supreme evil. This is the capital capital of Neo-Assyrian, the Assyrian Empire. The Assyrians were known for being unbelievably evil. Here's what they would do. They would kill their enemies. They would kill people. Anybody who crossed them wrong, they would kill them. And they would skin them alive. It's the Bible. I'm sorry. It's rated R, but it's the reality of Scripture. They would skin them alive. 
while they're alive, they will pull their body parts to pieces while they're still alive. And they'd light them on fire while they're alive. Then they'd put them on stakes so that everybody can see, do not mess with Nineveh. Like these people were evil. And God was telling Jonah, a prophet from God, go to these very evil people. Now, what does Jonah do? Verse 3, you ready? But Jonah rose up to flee. He rose up, just like God told him to do, to flee. Now look, listen to what this fool did. He fleed to Tarsus. I don't like that word. From the presence of the Lord, verse 3. He fleed to get away from God. Stupid is, stupid does. He should have known you can't flee from God's presence. You can run, but you can't hide. No matter where you go, you can't flee. It's kind of like, let me give you an example to put this into context. I have four kids, and they love to play hide and seek. And they'll say, Dad, you count, we'll go hide. And I know where to look in every square inch of my house because it's my house. Nor can they outsmart Daddy. And normally when I go look, it's the cutest little thing. You can see them underneath the cover, and you can see their body outlined in the cover, and they're giggling, moving around. Come on. You think I'm not going to find you? Or they're behind the curtains, and all you see those little bitty toes kind of. They can hide all they want to, but Daddy's going to find them. It's just a matter of time. It's my house. I know every square inch of it. Jonah is playing hide-and-seek with the God, thinking he's actually going to hide from God. And so he, he flees. And I want you to hear something. To be obedient and to go to Nineveh, was gonna, it, was, it was about 500 miles away. So it would have taken him some time to go to Nineveh. But because he went the opposite direction, you know how much further it was to go to Tarsus. Listen, 2,500 miles He went out of his way to be disobedient to God. He took a further track to be disobedient to God versus just surrendering to God. Now listen what happens. So he went down to Joppa. He found a ship, which was going to Tarshish, paid the fare, went down into it, and he went with them to travel all of that distance. Here's what he did. I don't want to obey God. I don't like what God has asked me to do. This seems a bit overwhelming. This seems a bit hard. I know God's only asked me to go 500 miles, but I don't like the 500 miles God has asked me to go to. So instead, I'm going to go the 2,500 miles this way to get away from God, hoping that God will just leave me alone. So I'm going to get on this ship, and the ship is going to Joppa, and I'm going to go as far as I can go to get away from God. So he gets on this ship, and it says he had to pay his own fare to get on this ship. And he gets on this ship, and the ship begins to, to move forward. And look, listen to how this unfolds. Look at verse 4. This just keeps unfolding. The Lord hurled a great wind on the sea, and there was a great storm on the sea, so that the ship was about to break up. 
Listen to what happens. If this doesn't tell us the character of who God is, okay? Um, Verse 4, because he's fleeing from God, God causes a storm. Write that down. Because he fleed from God, God causes a storm. This is a God-caused storm. Because of his disobedience, the consequence was a storm. Do you know what I love about the scripture and the doctrine that it shows us? You can just pull this out. You ready? Uh, So you see God called. Man responded. He responded with disobedience because he didn't like what God called him to do. Look at how God responds. How does God respond? He responds with a storm. Now, here's the truth. You can choose your actions in life, but you can't choose your consequences. You can choose your actions. We are not robots. You see Jonah have free will to disobey God. You can choose your actions, but you can't choose your consequences. Jonah is finding himself in a verse 4 situation because he disregarded a verse 1 command. So here's what you see. Here's this huge storm. Verse 5, then the sailors became afraid and every man cried to his God. What do we see? A polytheistic society here. Different people worship different gods. There was tons of different gods. Everyone worshiped their own God. If you look in scripture, you'll see a little G. When he's telling people, cry out to your gods, he's saying, we're in trouble. We're in trouble here. This situation is out of our control. Cry out to your gods. You know what's interesting? When we've hit rock bottom as people, we run to our gods. The things that we think will heal us. We run to our money, little g. We run to our relationships, little g. We run to all of these situations that do not cure us because they're little g's. And so the, the sailor says, okay, there's a huge storm. We have a problem here. Everybody, quick. I don't know which God is real. I don't know which God has the most power. Everyone just start praying out to your gods because we're about to die in this storm. So they start praying out to their gods, and they begin to throw the cargo out, out of the ship to lighten it up. And look at dummy Jonah. Where was Jonah? Verse 5. He's sound asleep. In the middle of this chaos, running from God, in the middle of the storm, he is the lower portion of the boat asleep. Was he depressed? I have no idea. Scripture doesn't tell us. How in the world do you sleep in the midst of chaos? How in the world do you sleep in the midst of a Category 5 storm? But he was sleeping. So the captain went down and woke him up. And he says this. Good question. How is it that you are sleeping? How are you asleep? He says, get up. Call on your God. Perhaps your God will be concerned about us so that we will not perish. They were praying to all these other gods, and all these other gods didn't calm the storm. Nothing fixed the problem. Everything they pursued in their false gods wasn't working. And that's exactly how God wanted it to be. 
He didn't want anything else to work. You ever wonder when you're placed in a situation and you get to the point where it's just rock bottom brokenness, nothing is working? You ever feel like it's, it's when life hits, it's one thing after another? You ever felt that way? It just keeps coming and coming and coming and coming. Naturally, what we do as human beings, we run to the things that give us the quickest, most gratifying comfort we can find, right? We do that. We want to call up a friend and vent because you think we'll feel better. We want to go do some emotional shopping at last chance because you think we'll feel better. Right? Some run to the bottle because it's comfort. Some run to sexual morality because it's comfort. We run to all these things in the midst of the storm that only keeps the storm going. And you wonder why none of it works? It's not because God's not listening. It's because you're running to the wrong guy. You're running to all of these little G's. And God is saying, that ain't it. Oh, you thought more money was going to make you feel better? That ain't it. Oh, you you thought because you were lonely that you can hurry up and jump into a relationship you weren't supposed to be in. And you're still lonely. That ain't it. Oh, oh, you, you thought you can come to church and sit in a seat and never seek God. And you'd feel better. That ain't it. Oh, you thought getting the degrees would make you feel like you're valued and like you're somebody. That ain't it. Oh, you thought being a Bible study leader would make you feel like you were fulfilled and on fire for God. That ain't it. Religion is not a substitute for the presence of God. A bunch of little G's. Do you know what I love about God? Is that he is protecting us from ourselves when we run to these little G's and don't fill us up. That's what God is doing. When we run to the little G's, they're kind of like energy drinks. They may work in the moment, but it gives you a horrible hangover. It ain't going to work. And so they, they go to to Jonah, saying, listen, all these little G's just ain't working. We need that one big G. So listen to what Jonah does. Each man said to his mate, come, let us cast lots. This was a secular way uh, to figure out who it was, kind of like rolling dice, to learn whose account His calamity has struck us. So here's what they were trying to do. Let's find out. Let's cast the lot. Whoever it lands on, this is how we're going to find out that sin is in the camp. And somebody's sin in the ship is affecting all of us. Somebody's sin is affecting all of us, and we need to find out. I want you to write this down if you're taking notes. My disobedience doesn't only affect me. There is no private sin. You may sin privately, but it affects people publicly. There is no private sin. So here's what happens. They then realize Jonah is the problem. And they look to Jonah and says, what is your occupation? 
Where do you come from? Who are you? How did you get on a ship? He said to them, I'm a Hebrew, and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. Speaking to God as creator. Then the man came incredibly frightened. They said to him, how could you do this? For the the men knew that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord because he had told them. Verse 11, so they said to him, what should we do to you that the sea may become calm for us? For the sea was becoming increasingly stormy. Listen to his response. Here's Jonah running from God. He is found sleeping at the bottom of the boat during a storm. And they say, hey, we have a problem. Because because of your sin and disobedience, all of our lives are being affected. What does Jonah do? He feels like he's hit rock bottom running from God. And you know if you ever ran from God, you don't win. You never win. You may think you win running from God. You cannot beat God. Here's what happens. Verse 12, he said to them, pick me up and throw me into the sea. I've messed up so bad. Listen, this is what he's saying. I've messed up so bad. I'm running from God. Everybody's being affected because I'm not being obedient to God because I don't want to be obedient to God because I don't like what God is asking me. And because I'm not being obedient to God, everybody else is being affected by this. Because everybody else is being affected by this, I no longer want to live. Kill me. That's what he's saying. Kill me. Life is too hard. I just want to die. Kill me. I'd rather die than be obedient to God. Kill me. I can't take this position in life. This storm is too much. It's affecting me. It's affecting everybody else. Kill me. And here's what happens. It says the man couldn't do it. Verse 13, it says that the men couldn't do it. Look at verse 13. So what did they begin to do? So we're not going to kill this man. We're not murderers. Here's what we're going to do. We are going to row harder against the storms. They didn't recognize that they weren't just fighting the storms. They were rowing against God. And they weren't going to win rowing against God. And so they just kept rowing, and things kept getting more difficult. And then here's what happens. Verse 14, then they called on the Lord and said, We earnestly pray, O Lord, do not let us perish on the account of this man's life, and do not put innocent blood on us, for you, O Lord, have done as you please. So here's basically what they do, okay? Look, look you ever have friends like this? No, Jonah, we ain't going to do it. I got your back. You understand me? I'm going to walk with you thick and thin, ride or die. never leave you. I got your back, Jonah. You ain't got to, you sit on this ship, and we're going to row harder, and we're going to make it through together. We got this. Got got a little bit difficult. I don't know you anyway. (laughs) Just met the dudes. Between me and you, got to go, brother. So here's what they did. God, we're going to throw him in. Forgive us. So they threw him in. They threw him in the ocean. Look what happens next. 
So they picked up Jonah, verse 15, threw him into the sea, and the sea stopped raging. You know what's interesting about this? The sea stops raging when we stop running. The sea stops raging when we stop running. You cannot, you cannot calm a storm by yourself within your own strength. Part of the reality is you probably got yourself into this storm yourself. There are two things that normally happen. One, you, if you're a mature Christian and you're living faithfully and you're walking into storms, let me just encourage you. Keep being faithful. Keep walking. But God is in charge of that storm. Scripture is very clear. Verse 4. God is God over nature. He's in charge of that storm. Then if you're walking in disobedience from God, it's a storm that you have caused because of your disobedience that God's still in control of. How do you stop the storm? You stop the storm when you stop running. The storm stops raging when you stop running. They throw in Jonah. It stops, and here's what I love. God is so good. It shows God is even God over creation, over the animals. Look at verse 17. And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow Jonah, and Jonah was in the stomach of the fish for three days and three nights. Does that sound familiar to anybody? Three days and three nights, maybe a shadowing of Matthew 12, verse 40, of Jesus. Here's what happens. Throw him into the ocean. I don't want to live. I'm just going to commit suicide. But God wasn't done with him yet. God wasn't done with him. He jumps into the ocean, and God hit up the uber number from the sea creatures there and got this big fish to pick up this big dummy. Probably got the fish. Fish, I need you I'm right between the Mediterranean Sea and the Red Sea. I'm in the pickup point, and I need to see the car go on the track as well, and I need you to pick up this dummy who's trying to kill himself. When you pick up the dummy, then we're going to take the dummy somewhere else. But just go pick up the dummy for right now because he's being a dummy, and I'm not done with that dummy. He's running, but I'm not done with him. He's running, but I'm not done with him. He's running, but I'm not done with him yet. Now, so what does this say? No, we don't gloat in Jonah's rebellious spirit to run. We gloat and we boast in a God who takes a rebellious person and disciplines him by causing him a storm until he surrenders. Here's the bad news. You can guarantee that every time you disobey God, a storm is just waiting on you. Every time you want to live in disobedience, you can guarantee discipline from God. Guaranteed. Not because he's a mean God, but because he's a God who loves you. Because he's a God who doesn't want you to keep going the same direction. Because he's a God who knows you better than you know yourself. So what's the way out? Stop running. Stop running from that relationship God has told you to reconcile. Stop running. Stop running. Stop running. 
Let's pray together.